This is Help From The Line, back with another episode. I'm your host, Tyler. Let's jump into the conversation. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in. We are going to talk about burnout tonight. So when we talk about burnout, we talked about you know some of the related factors in an earlier episode. And tonight we're actually going to talk about that that phase, the actual burnout phase. So for me personally, this didn't happen in the, you know, the first year or two of being on the job. And a lot of people, it doesn't. That's a little too soon. Yes, it depends on how much you're running and what kind of cause you're exposed to. It definitely can happen within that first year or two. But for me, it took a few years to realize that this is what was going on and that, hey, I am actually burnout. And it, it was kind of in that third year that I really started to, to feel the stresses that were going on. When the burnout initially started to happen, it was not very apparent to me. I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that every time we got caught out to something, I didn't necessarily want to go. And it wasn't that I didn't care about the people that you know we were going to help. It's not that I didn't care about the job. That wasn't it at all. I was to the point that everything seemed like a giant task, even the smallest of things. And we all do that from time to time. Yes, we know that going out and picking up grandma at three o'clock in the morning is not the best call we'll ever go on. But we can't really treat those calls as a nuisance to us. And that's kind of what happens when we start in the burnout. Everything becomes a bit of a a nuisance. So those three o'clock in the morning calls, you just don't want to go. And yes, it depends on what it is. There's always those more severe calls that you're okay with going on because those are the the fun calls. And anyone that's in the job, you're going to know what I mean by that. I'm not saying that they're actually fun. Let's face it. A lot of times they are a nightmare, but that's just kind of what we deal with. So for me, it was definitely like those after 10 o'clock calls. Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to get out of bed. Can someone else handle this? And obviously that wasn't an option. But that was the way that I felt. I felt that everything was just a giant waste of my time. And in the long run and in hindsight, no, none of it was. But that's just the way that you start feeling. So how do we combat this to the point that we can either get over it or you know, we need to slow down and we can get through it that way? Or do we need to seek out help? So talking about the mental health on us, even in the burnout phase, it's not a bad thing to say, I need to talk to somebody about this to feel better about what I'm doing. This isn't saying that you're having a mental health crisis. This is just saying that you need help in dealing with the emotions that are going on. Because even burnout is a stress-related syndrome. So maybe not call stressed, you might not be stressed out about a a particular call that you went on, but you're definitely stressed out about the hours that you're putting in, the lack of sleep that you have, getting woke up five or six times a night. That still causes stress that ultimately leads to, to burnout. So I remember going on this call and it was a bit of a crazy call. It really was. So we get there, you know, she's showing a STEMI on the monitor. She has stroke symptoms and this patient was just not doing well. And even though we, we tried our hardest, as we always do, 
the patient ultimately ended up dying. And this was a big hit for me. I didn't really know what to think about it at the time because, you know, just after an incident, we don't think about things. But it started to show. And I remember getting called into the chief's office probably about a week later and him sitting, sitting me down and going, hey, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh, okay, like what, what do we need to talk about now? And so I, I go in his office, I sit down and he's like, hey, how are things going? You know, so he took that initial step. How are things going? How are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And he goes, what's bothering you? He's like, Tyler, you're, you're in the station, you know, really four or five days a week, even if you're just stopping in to hang out with the crews that are here, what's going on? I, I definitely can tell that something is going on with you. And I brought it up to him how this call went. And so this, it wasn't the necessarily the call that got me. It wasn't that our patient arrested that got me. Uh, it was events leading up to that moment. I remember the patient, you know, looking at me, you know, with, with these very concerned eyes and at the time, you know, she couldn't talk. And I remember, t- I remember telling her as I am about to, to drill an IO into her, you know, we're going to do everything to save your life. And I remember her just kind of closing her eyes and nodding her head. Yes. And, you know, and some, some tears starting to flow down her face. And, you know, this did hit me in a spot that was very sentimental to me at the time. And so that did affect me over the next few weeks. So when I sit down and I talk with the chief about this, he just wanted to know what was actually going on. So I, I tell him, you know, the same thing. And he says, well, I'm, I need to give you a piece of advice and maybe it'll help and maybe it won't, but I'm still going to tell it to you. And I'm, okay. And this is when I got the first initial hit. Yes, I had had patients die before this. I knew that patients were going to die after this. But in that constant strive that we have in saving life and preserving life, the chief tells me, you know, this day sitting in his office, he goes, I, I need you to know that even when you do your best work, you can't save them all. And that hit me probably even harder than the call did. Because at this point in time, you know, you're, you're two years into your career and you definitely want that. You want to save everybody. That's what we got into this for, right? We got into this to, you know, save whoever we can to treat these patients in their time of crisis, to be compassionate to these patients, to be empathetic to these patients. And when you realize that these patients are not always savable, that's a hard hit. You know, even starting out in into this service, they tell you in school, you know, you're going to have these patients that die. And to me, it was, well, if we get there and they're already arresting, well, we kind of already know they're going to die. So like those aren't big calls. But the first time that you actually have someone arrest on you, you know, in the back of your ambulance, those calls can start to get you. And ultimately, with all of these calls, we hit the burnout phase. So burnout has a lot of the same symptoms as just anything else. You know, you get isolated, you stop caring as much, your work, you know, performance might start to slow. And it's getting us through this that can either change our outlook on the job in a positive way, or it can change it in a negative way. I know a lot of people that hit their burnout phase and just said, I can't do this anymore. Mentally, I can't do this. And they leave the job. That is okay. 
if you've hit this point that you're 10 years in and you just don't want to do this anymore, it's okay to admit that fact and find something else to do. You've still put 10 years in of helping save lives. 10 years is still a long time. Doesn't matter what way you look at it. And I carry a lot of respect for those people that know when it's just time for them to tap out. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. But I'm to the point in my life that I'm, I'm done seeing this stuff that we see. Completely fine. But these people have, they went down the proper channels in helping correct this issue. Have they talking to people about why they're burnout? Why that two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning call that might seem very mundane? Why that's now making them angry? I remember being on call overnight and being, you know, at home with the pager. And the second the pager goes off, I was angry. I was mad. It lit a fire inside me and I was mad. Now, when you go into a call mad, how do you think that fares for anybody? When you are mad from the tone, the, the time the tones go off till the time that you get to the patient, you're going to stay mad. There's no, I'm mad right now, but the second we see the patient, we're okay. Yes, you are able to hide it a little bit, but you still have that stress factor going on inside yourself that can be very apparent to your patient. Well, now this patient that to them, this is the worst time in their life when you have to call 911. They don't have anywhere else to, you know, call. They call us. It makes them feel less important. And that's not good for our patients either. So with with the burnout, yes, you're going to be angry. You know, so you got to pay attention to this. Because the faster that you realize that you've hit this phase, the faster you're able to get out of it. So you're angry when the calls go off. You don't really want to talk to anybody, you know, whether it be at the firehouse or outside of the firehouse. You don't want to socialize with people. You start feeling like, hey, maybe I need to find another job. And just everything around you feels like it's just not that important. And that that's a bad sign. And a lot of us are very bad about recognizing this bad sign. So we kind of just push on. Oh, eventually it'll pass. I'll be fine. You know, you might hit that one call that kind of sparks something back into you. And good. Some of us can get through this without really any change to our lives, any change to our job, and we move on. Me personally, I hit this point. This point was pointed out to me. And I had to really think about my, you know, to myself about what I was going to do. How do I solve this? So me, I decided that it was probably best at this point in time that I do take a little bit of a break. And the break for me, honestly, was, I think, three weeks. I just, I, you know, got off the schedule and didn't work for three weeks. Spent more time with family, went out with friends, did the things that I wanted to do. And finally, I hit this point that I'm like, I got to get back. Uh, You know, I'm done being pissed off about everything. I need to get back to work. I need to get back to what I enjoy doing, which I enjoy being in an ambulance. And if you guys haven't kind of noticed by now, yes, I'm a firefighter also. I love being a firefighter. I was a full-time firefighter. absolutely love it. And you have those those guys that some like fire and some like fire only and some like EMS and some like both. I personally enjoy both. I lean more towards the medical side. 
I just, I, I find the challenge invigorating. I love the medical side of what we do. So once we take that time away and now it's time to get back, you almost feel like a new hire again. You almost feel like that, you know, that rookie, you're excited. You want to be back on every call. You want to know what's going on. You want to do the best for your patients again. And really then at that point in the time, those 3 a.m. calls don't seem as mundane as they were. But even after you've been through burnout once, it can definitely happen again. And it's not a bad thing. Listen, guys, if you hit the burnout phase, don't ever take it as as a bad thing. This is your body just telling you, hey, you need to slow down. You're doing a lot. You're seeing a lot. It's time to take that moment to yourself. And that's where we get back into the self-care that's needed. Burnout's a tricky beast. Burnout can spiral way out of control to the point that it is too much to handle. It can be like a little flutter in the wind where it just, it comes in, you're angry for a little bit, and then you just move on about it. Or you could hit the point that you say, this is way too much and I'm, I'm done with being here. Either way that you go through burnout, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. No, people don't want to see you leave. You know, they want to see you get the help that you need. They want to see you take some time off and they want to see you come back to work. And that is good. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Take the time off that you need. Get through this burnout and come back. So what, when we talk about burnout, what really are the specific signs of burnout? And when this happens, what is fully needed? Yes, you can go see a therapist. You can get some psychiatric care. Not that, not, not that you need the psychiatric care of like being admitted, but there's nothing wrong with it. So one of the big signs of burnout is just exhaustion. You're always tired. Now you're making some unhealthy choices. You are loading up every day on caffeine. You're drinking 10 pots of coffee during the day on top of the eight energy drinks that you're drinking a day. You're super irritable. And then when you're at home or even at the firehouse, now you're suffering through insomnia and you're just up all night long. And that's even more unhealthy. Another one is disengagement. We talk about that isolation. That's what this is. So iso- or isolation and disengagement, it's very destructive. Very destructive. You are now shutting out the people that are very close to you because you don't really know what to talk to them about because of the way that you're feeling. And even when you do talk to them, you're going to come out as super irritable and angry. So when you start to withdraw you need to, you know, definitely kind of push yourself through that. Find someone that you can reach out to. Make them like your sponsor. Hey, I need to talk to you about this stuff. I need to talk to you about how I'm feeling because I really think that I'm going through burnout. Another one is just that unsympathetic feeling. You're judgmental. You're angry. It's very common. 
It's very common. We talk about that 3 a.m. call that just makes you mad. It's going to happen. When you're going through burnout, this is going to happen. You're going to be angry. You're going to be angry at your patients. You're going to be angry at your teammates. You're just going to be angry. Your spouse, anyone around you. And whether you want to admit that you are or not, and you might not be specifically angry towards that person, so it might be very hard for you to come out and say, hey, I'm irritable, I'm angry. It just, you are. You're angry. You're an angry person at this point in, in your life. You are angry. So the, the things that really influence burnout, obviously you have those traumatic calls. When you have those traumatic calls, they do weigh heavy on you, and this can start to, to progress that burnout phase. Then you have physical demands. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, working a 12 or 14 hour fire scene is not easy. When you are constant energy for, you know, even an eight hour fire scene is not easy. Eight, 10, 12, 14 hours. That is a lot of strain on you. It's a lot of strain on your body. And mentally, it's a lot of strain. You know, you just went on an eight-hour marathon with 150 pounds of gear on top of you. And it doesn't matter if it's 80 degrees outside or if it's 10 degrees outside. That puts a lot of strain on your body. Well, then what happens next? We get home that day. We're tired. And that builds more than into that exhaustion. Well, I was already tired. I already worked four or five twelves this week. And then on my off day, I catch an eight hour fire with the volunteer fire department or a 10 hour fire. And yeah, where I, I had a blast doing it, you know, it's like that fight or fight or fight or flight syndrome that goes on. You're going to be super amped up. All your adrenaline is running through your body. You have, you know, the, uh, the epinephrine that is released into your body. You're now running around you're on this fire scene. You're ex- you're excited to be there. You're excited to be doing the job that you're doing. What happens when we're done? And it always seems to set in on guys on that ride back to the station. You all jump in the engine. You're going back. This one you're going to see like, you know, the guys are, you know, leaning back in their seats. Someone in the engine is meticulously always uh, notoriously, I should say, falling asleep. And th- that's just what it is. You now have that parasympathetic system working in on you that you get into that resting and digesting stage. You are now tired. Your body is just wore out. Your body's trying to recoup and regenerate. And, well, now we've added to the exhaustion. We're tired. It was 10 hours. I spent 10 hours on this fire. So between the actual operations of the fire, between overhaul after the fire, incident cleanup, putting the trucks back together. And then you go back to the station. What do we do next? We drink coffee and we wash the truck. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of energy expent on this. Well, then we talk about long hours and lack of sleep. Once again, adding to exhaustion. No one in this job sleeps well. Whether we work every third day you know, whether we're on 12s and on a set schedule, we don't sleep good. If you're on 12s, you're usually not sleeping at all. And especially then if you work those 12s at night. I've been on nights for six years. Well, I come home 
and where, yes, I grab a couple hours of sleep, I also have two boys at home. I already don't get the sleep that I need. And then you create the snowball effect. So when you have these long hours and then these sleepless nights on top of it, and then you leave your firehouse in the morning and you go back home, well, what do you have at home? You have your family life at home. So we're working long hours, we're not getting sleep, and then we come home and, you know, we got to go back to our our kind of normal home schedule. So that creates more into this problem. What's next then? Well, then we look at the, you know, the requirements from a volunteer fire department. You already work a full-time job. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're an accountant, if you're a lawyer, if you're a full-time guy. You have a full-time job. And then you also work for a volunteer fire company. And what happens now? Well, now you do have those requirements still there. Because you still have to know what that department's SOGs, SOPs are, what they expect of you on a fire scene, what they expect of you on an EMS scene, what your med control for that department expects of you, because they might not be the same. And now we're taking our full-time hours and we're going to add hours on top of those so that we can meet these requirements. A lot of this is training, uh, whatever else is going on, plus the calls you know, so even if you're a full-time firefighter and you're on your two days off, you might still, you know, you there's a good, good possibility that you're running six or seven calls on your days off with your volunteer fire department. That's still adding more stress to the body. That is still very stressful for the body. Now, what we're going to get into next really goes along with what we've been talking about in this podcast. The culture and stigma. We live in the fire service, a very, very unhealthy culture and not necessarily like health wise. Yes, we all eat like crap at the fire department. I get that where that's not the greatest for us. That's not the worst problem that's going on in the fire department. The worst problem is the tradition. It's not okay to not be okay and you're fine and you got to keep going And everything else that gets told to us from day one and everything that gets told to us after we have a traumatic call. It's not always that culture of, let me help you out after this call. A lot of times it's just, hey, there's going to be another one. You need to pick your shit up. You need to put yourself back together and get, get back to work. So, I mean, have we thought of, during all this time, have we thought of when there is a call that is a death call, no matter what it is. Why isn't that crew, when they get back, getting out of service time? Why aren't they getting downtime? I don't think that it's that big of a deal to say, hey, you know, this crew, they had kind of a rough call. You know, even if it's not something that seems super traumatic, but it might be to, to one or both of the people that were on it or all the people that were on it. So what's wrong with saying, hey, when they get back in quarters, we're going to put them out of service for two hours? If they need to, you know, call home, talk to loved ones, talk to each other, let's give them that two hours of downtime to, you know, work out this negative energy that they could possibly have going. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I think that that is an incredible idea that anybody that goes on a traumatic call, when they get back from that call, they should get two hours of downtime, at least. I mean, no, you're not going to take your ambulance out of service for the rest of the day. No. But give them some time to 
process what they just went through. As I'm sitting here right now, uh, I actually responded to a call with my volunteer fire department. It was a car accident call. It was a bad call. You know, and what, what would be wrong with the crew that is the actual, you know, we staff an EMS duty crew. After this call, what's wrong with bringing them back home and saying, hey, two hours, you're out of service. We have some other guys here that, you know, they can handle the calls for you. But anybody that was involved in patient care, you need to take two hours to yourself. Do you need to get two hours downtime? Yes, I understand that you have a, a report to write. If you want to write your report in your downtime, that's fine. You know, because obviously it has to be done by the end of your shift. But, you know, take the two hours of downtime. I I want to say that everyone after this call was okay. It was a very, uh, it was a traumatic call. Just the circumstance. Head-on collision. One person, you know, is expired at the scene. And, and another guy's trapped in his car. This is this is kind of a typical call for a fire department. We see these all the time. But just like anything else that we do, these calls can still weigh heavy on a person. These calls can still trigger that mental response that is a negative mental response and spiral things out of control. Because we don't necessarily look at the things that we've been on before, but this could be that tipping point for one of the people that you have there. They, you know... Things are building up, building up, building up, building up. Now you have a call where, you know, you're working very hard to save one person's life. Someone else is already dead. How does this affect where they are mentally? And have we done a good enough job that at the beginning of their shift, whoever's on their crew together has talked to them about how they're doing that day? Because guys, it only takes one call. It only takes one call to spiral out of control. It really does. So fighting against this, how, how do we fight this? And that's, that's a hard question. And you're going to get 10,000 different answers on it. But at the end of the day, we need to push forward. Changing the stigma that we have always known is priority one. We cannot treat others if us ourselves are not in an okay position. So what do we do about changing this? You know, you can evaluate what you're doing. You can evaluate operations. Are our operations, you know, good enough to deal with this? So are our crews working too many shifts? You know, should we get 10 hours of downtime between one job to the next? And I've always actually been a, a fairly decent proponent of that, even though I myself didn't follow the, that rule for many years where I would get off at six o'clock in the morning at my full-time job and I would be into my volunteer department at seven. As soon as I got home, I would go straight there. You know, I, I had the uniform for, for the next department in my bag and I would leave my full-time job and I would go straight there and I would change into my uniform and I'd grab a cup of coffee and I would continue on throughout the day. Is that healthy? No. I mean, there was times that I was spending 28 hours awake between two jobs, you know, I would get up at 4.30, you know, get a shower, do all that stuff, get ready for work. And my shift started at 6 p.m. So I was always out the door by 5. So get up at 4, out the door at 5, work all night, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., get off at 6 a.m., drive back to the, the town that I live in, and go straight to the fire department of that town, 
and work 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the station, go home, and still be on call from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And whether you're at home or you're at the station, those nighttime hours, you don't sleep any better. It doesn't matter. You're always waiting for the radio to open up, for the pager to go off, and for you to have to be running out the door. Extremely unhealthy culture that we live. Unhealthy in a physical standpoint and unhealthy in a mental standpoint especially. So do we need to change that? You know, saying, hey, between one job and the next, you need 10 hours off. You need 10 hours in between that work time. Anybody in the nation that works under the CAME standard, they have to have 10 hours of downtime from one job to the next or from one shift to the next. And that actually is a good rule to have. You don't want someone coming in from one job right into this one and then going and taking care of anybody. Yes, I've done it. And where there have been studies that show that firefighters work better under that stress and you're able to process more information quicker, that doesn't mean that it's okay. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to make those mistakes. Take some time to yourself between one place to the next. In the long run, it's going to be better for you and it's going to help with this burnout. When you're able to take that time away and process what happened the night before, the day before, and be real with yourself about it, and get some sleep, and get through some exhaustion stuff, and take care of yourself in a little better way, it makes the next shift easier. I think that if we were better at putting a standard like this in, we would be extending that burnout time from happening. I'm not going to say that we would fully control burnout because that's not what would happen. We all know that. Burnout can just kind of come on. It can come on suddenly. It can take time to get there. I don't think that it would eliminate it fully, but I definitely think that it would help, one, reduce how much of the burnout we feel, and two, in some cases, it might really relieve it. We're never going to fully get rid of burnout. That's just who we are as people. Once you've been run so much, once you run so much, once you've worked so much, you're going to get burnout. But let's talk about that stigma now. The stigma says, well, it's okay. It's okay that you're burnt out, but you still need to work. And you just need to keep going. That'll get you through it. That's the stigma that we live every day. Not an okay stigma to work by. What that should be saying is when you hit this burnout phase, you need some mandatory time off. I don't care if it's you know paid time off. I would rather see it be paid time off for these guys than it be unpaid time off. But you need to be able to have a few days off so that you can get rest. You know, you can eat a little better in those days, feel a little better, and then come back to work. And then we're going to come back to work and we're going to do our jobs and we're going to be great at our jobs. And that's how that goes. And that burnout phase wouldn't stretch weeks, months, years. I think if we were a little better at taking care of our people and making sure that they got the time off that they needed, we would only see this burnout phase last maybe a week. Hey, I get it. You're burnt out. You've worked so much. Take, you know, three shifts off. And then come back. We can find someone to fill your, you know, fill three shifts for you. That's okay. And those those guys that work, you know, every third day, that's going to give them what, a week off. Yeah, take a week off. 
Go golfing. Go fishing. Go hunting. Doesn't matter. Sit on your couch. Be a potato. Take some time off. And then come back. Your crew is still going to be here when you get here. And I think that if we reacted this way to stressful incidents, that the stigma itself would begin to change. And it would be begin to change to a whole, okay, well, you know, previously we just wanted you to work through this to uh, let's take care of our guys mentally and make sure that they are able to do this job depending on what they have going on. And not saying that anyone that's going through burnout isn't able to do the job. But what happens when we work through the burnout and become even more burnout? That's where you get into the PTSD type situations. That's where you get into something has to change or you're going to be so out of control that you can't control yourself. I've been there. That's not a good place to be. It is incredibly lonely there. No one is, you know, they're holding your hand through it. Not until you admit it to yourself that something's going on. So what else can you do? You can develop some fitness programs. Absolutely. Is there a gym at your department? Go work out the stress. Because being healthy on our own bodies is a great, a great way to help with mental health. If you're working out, if you're eating right, that helps our mental health as well. And it is... It's really incredible how how much you feel differently when you do start eating healthy, when you start working out, you're going to start feeling really good. And it took me a while to notice this. But when you have all this stuff bottled up, to be able to go to the gym and work out, And now you're taking care of yourself better. And now you're eating a little more healthy. It's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. So burnout as a whole can happen to anybody. We know that. You know, we talked about when it happens and when it, you know, when it happens, we can't really tell when it's going to happen. We don't know. It could be one call that starts it. It could be an accumulation of calls. It's dealing with the burnout before it becomes a problem that we need to focus on. Just like anything else in life, there are steps that happen until we get to, you know, the ultimate destination. So we talked about, you know, some self-care stuff. Now we're talking about burnout. You know, then you have that you know, secondary traumatic stress, that's after burnout. If you're burnout going into more calls that are going to push you to burnout, you're going to lead yourself right into a mental health crisis. And I know that a lot of people want to sit there and go, that won't be me. I was that person. I was that person that said, I'm I'm not going to get to that point. I like my job too much. I like what I do too much. I'm never going to get to that point. I got to that point. And until we as a whole decide that we want to change this, can we? We need the backing of our people. We need the buy-in. If we had everyone saying, hey, listen, you know, if I feel X, Y, and Z, 
I'm going to get three shifts off to, you know, to spend some time on myself and then I'm going to come back to work. We can really minimize what we're doing. But on top of this, I, I think that there would be a decent response to having some mental health people, uh, mental health providers on an almost continually constant basis for our people. What would be wrong with, you know, linking up with a mental health provider, the fire department, linking up with the mental health provider and offering those services to their people? Yes, we know that most of our departments have the employee assistance program, the EAP. And there's nothing wrong with that. It does offer a resource to us when we need it. But what about making that person even more accessible? What if they're, you know, they, they drop in a few times a week, you get to know this person, then you're a little more open to talk to this person. Because guys, as firefighters, as EMS providers, as healthcare, healthcare clinicians, we don't like talking to people that we don't know. And that that is one hurdle that we need to get over to really start pushing this movement forward. I understand not wanting to talk to a stranger about your problems. I get that. I really do. I didn't want to talk to a stranger about my problems. But at some point in time, we have to suck it up and we have to talk to these strangers about our problems. Where I would love to see a lot of firefighters bring in a counselor. You know, see these city departments bring in a counselor and say, hey, listen, we have this counselor on staff. Anytime you need this person, you can call, you can set up an appointment. That would be incredible. You're going to get to know this person. They're going to stop into the fire department a couple times a week and just say, hey, how, how's everything going? And then if you need to talk, you say, hey, counselor, can, can we go talk? And you guys go talk. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That would be wonderful for anybody that's in our profession to have that resource available to them. And to a point we do. But unless we get past the fact of, I don't want to talk to someone I don't know, then we can't fix these problems. It took me a while to realize that. Once I did start talking, my world changed. I had put myself so deep into a hole that I couldn't have found the way out on my own. There was no additional thinking to it. I would not have been able to get out of this. So when, when burnout starts to happen, we need to realize it. We need to be open about it. We need to be honest about it. We need to be honest to ourselves. We need to be honest to our teammates. If they don't know that this is going on with you, they can't help you. Talk to them. Talk to anybody you want. But you have to talk this out. Mental health is about talking it out. And if you don't talk it out, you bottle it up, and eventually your bottle's going to burst. You can only put so many marbles in a bottle before they just don't fit. And when you, they don't fit anymore and you are just cramming them in there, the bottle's going to break. And when the bottle breaks, what happens? You can't put the marbles back in a broke bottle. You, you just can't. It kind of goes back to that, that thing where, you know, when we're talking to our kids about bullying others and the words that they say you know take a plate take a tube of toothpaste squirt the toothpaste all over the plate and then tell your kid put the toothpaste back in the tube 
You can't. It's out. And once it's out, you can't put it back in. Mental health is the same way. But we need to be able to talk to somebody to help alleviate the pressure that's in that bottle before it bursts. And when we do that, our eyes truly become open to what was going on with us and what is going on with us and where we need to go from there to change it. So, like I said, burnout is not good. And it hits people in various stages. And it can hit people in you know various phases of their career. It could hit the one-year guy. It could hit the five-year guy. It could hit the 20-year guy. And a lot of times, the 20-year guy has been through it a couple times. There's nothing wrong with going to those guys and saying, hey, I think I'm burnout. I need to know what to do. And they are going to give you advice on it. They're going to say, well, you know, here's what I did. And here's what I've done multiple times when this has happened. And listen to those guys. They work in the same environment you do. A lot of us understand the stigma needs changed. A lot of us just don't know how to go about doing it. And when we all just sit in the corner and say, I don't know how to change this, so I'm just not going to say anything, then it just it's not going to get changed and we're going to continue to live the way that we do. To change the stigma, we need to talk about it. If we don't, nothing's going to change and we're going to continue to be angry. We're going to continue to be burnt out. Talking is a good thing. Very good thing. And I'm excited to keep talking to you guys about it. I hope that you guys enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, Tyler here. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Remember, if there's any topics that you guys want us to discuss on the show, you can always send us an email at helpfromtheline at gmail.com. You can reach us out to us on our social media platforms. And in the next coming episodes, we have a lot of special things for you guys. We have some guest speakers coming in. We're going to do some roundtable discussions. We're really going to get into this conversation. We're really going to get down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on in the jobs that we work. It's going to be a fun ride throughout this podcast series. I hope you all continue to enjoy it. And anything that you want to talk about, send us an email. Let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook or leave comments on the podcast section.